The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Globalists and politicians have been anticipating a massive change in society called the Great Reset. The so-called ruling elites seem to care nothing about individual cherished freedoms nor documents like the Constitution of the United States. The World Economic Forum claims that they're working on implantable chips that can read our thoughts. And as a former chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations, David Rockefeller once commented, all we need is the right major crisis for the nations to accept a new world order. However, God's got his own global reset plan. Once the church age is completed, God's proverbial reset button will be pushed, and then he will take up the destiny once again of the nation of Israel. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Because God is a faithful covenant keeper, he has definite plans to restore the kingdom to Israel. According to the prophecies in the book of Daniel, Israel still has seven years of history on God's prophetic timeline to fulfill. However, while prophetic trends show how close we are to the formation of a one-world government, suddenly, finally, intercessors in the West are waking up with urgent and desperate corporate prayers for God's intervention. It's more prayer than I've seen in my lifetime, although the persecuted church in the East has been praying for decades for the West to wake up. Because the erosion of freedoms is getting us back on our knees, Andrew Murray once wrote, the people who mobilizes the church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. So will God hear our prayers and grant us more time to travel and preach the gospel? It's imperative that we continue to humble ourselves, repent and pray, imploring God for an extended period of grace. So many believers are regularly participating in prayer vigils and prayer Zooms. We can study how God responded to prayer in previous revivals. And the level of prayer that produces revival must also maintain revival to sustain the move of God. We simply can never quit praying. And recently I was reviewing the great revival that took place in Argentina in the middle of the 20th century as a result of prolonged prayer. Just one man, Edward Millar, arranged prayer every night, seven nights a week, beginning at 7 p.m. that went on for an average of eight hours. Intensive prayer was going on in Buenos Aires for 10 weeks at a Bible institute where both faculty and students spent their waking hours laboring in intercessory prayer and experiencing deep brokenness with weeping as the Holy Spirit burdened them for Argentina. Those intercessors went without sleep and food in their pursuit of God. And I wonder if we've come to that point yet in the West. The modern desire for fruit without labor, blessing without commitment, 
and revival without prayer has produced many false revivals. Much of the modern church has been pursuing happiness over holiness. The commitment to pray like they labored in prayer in Argentina is just too much of a task for many lethargic believers. So before we ask God for revival, we should understand the price. Prayer and revival are inseparable, and we're going to have to pay the price in prayer. God must see that we're seriously in earnest. So what was the result of that prayer in Argentina? Well, in 1954, the relatively unknown American evangelist, Tommy Hicks, arrived in Argentina to hold public meetings. And the faithful ministry of the prayer warriors had laid the right foundation for him. One of the most powerful revivals since Acts chapter 2 began. Initially, a stadium was hired with a seating capacity of 25,000. But soon, overwhelming crowds forced the evangelists to relocate to a football stadium with a seating capacity of more than 100,000, which also overflowed. And in two months, three million persons were reported to have attended with 300,000 decisions made to receive Jesus as Savior. And there were also a massive number of outstanding healings. But the public preaching was not the beginning. The revival was prepared by months of prayer. The foundation of all revivals, after all, is passionate prayer, and there are just no shortcuts. Prayer and deep repentance with weeping and waiting on God, all these factors have paved the way for every revival the world has ever known. Don't forget, the Holy Spirit fell upon the core group of 120 believers in the upper room because they had been waiting and praying together in Jerusalem all in one accord. John Wesley's diary described how he was with his brother Charles and about 60 other believers in intense prayer in England. And about three in the morning, the power of God mightily came upon them and many fell to the ground. By the way, the great evangelist George Whitfield was present, and he said that sometimes whole nights were spent in prayer. But without that level of prayer 300 years ago, the nation-changing, world-changing revival wouldn't have happened in England. Consider also the famous Welsh revival in 1904, which swept 100,000 persons into the kingdom of God within six months. It's a well-known fact that the Welch Revival was birthed in prayer. The main preacher, a young man named Evan Roberts, often preferred prayer to his meals. And it's interesting that the Welch Revival began at a prayer meeting of young people. But without preparation in prayer, there would have been no revival in Wales and in all the nations that benefited from it. And while the Welch Revival began with young people, the 1949 Hebridean revival in Scotland originated with two little old ladies. So whether you're young or old, revival can begin with you. Let's never allow ourselves to be limited. Those two elderly Scottish sisters were Peggy and Christine Smith, and they were in their 80s when they began to pray fervently for revival. One of them was blind and the other was crippled with arthritis, but they prayed long into the night, month after month, 
until God sent revival upon a group of men meeting in a barn. The revival became so intense in the Hebrides that the presence of the Lord moved beyond buildings. Sinners outside were suddenly struck down by the power of God and drawn into the revival. Zechariah 12.10 declares that God will pour out on Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. That's the spirit of intense, constant prayer. So we have to come to terms with the fact that both the Bible and revival history teach that God doesn't send revival without first a prayer movement. Intense times of prayer, both in Jerusalem and in the United Arab Emirates, preceded the supernatural move of God that I was privileged to be a part of in the 1990s in Arabia. So now the question is, do we yearn for our children and grandchildren to see the manifestation of the glory of God? Now it's time to pray for such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like the world has never seen. Friends and watchmen on the walls, we must be sure that the spirit of true prayer is always the reflection of God's own desires. And that's why scripture commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I'm here to tell you that the greatest revival the world will ever experience is promised when the Holy Spirit is poured out once again in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and from Jerusalem, the head, the Holy Spirit will flow down to the nations. And that will be God's great reset. The revival in Jerusalem in the last days will be the greatest revival the world will ever see. And it's described, it's prophesied in Zechariah chapters 12 and 13. I want to be a part of it, don't you? I've had an intense desire to be a part of this revival in Israel for many decades. And I always pray, Lord, remember me when you visit your people. And for this reason, for the sake of God's ultimate revival, we've held prayer conferences for decades in Jerusalem. In our prayer meetings here, we have been believing continually for this revival. But it's time now to pray with more intensity and with more faith as we see prophetic developments quickly unfolding. But a parallel development is very troubling. And that is evangelical Christianity is in crisis Many so-called evangelicals no longer hold to some of the Bible's most basic beliefs. In 2001, evangelical Christians made up approximately a quarter of the American population. By 2010, evangelicals dropped to about 21% of the population. But as of today, that figure has reportedly declined to 15%. And a survey of evangelicals speculated that if this trend continues, it won't be too long before evangelicals are at 10% and then eventually 5% and so forth. And to see what America's evangelical future potentially looks like, all we have to do is examine the Western European nations where Bible-believing Christians now comprise only a small fraction of those populations. True believers should be deeply alarmed that large numbers of evangelicals have abandoned some of the most basic beliefs of our faith. According to a George Barner survey, 48%, nearly half of all evangelicals, 
said they believe that eternal salvation can be earned by good works. But that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. So nearly half of so-called evangelicals now believe that a person can earn salvation through good works. But that claim goes contrary to Ephesians 2.8, which states that we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Well, according to the survey, 44% of evangelicals claim that the Bible is ambiguous in its teachings about abortion, and 40% said that they don't believe that human life is sacred. These statistics are shocking coming from so-called evangelicals. Furthermore, and this is a real shocker, 43% said that when Jesus was on earth, he sinned. That's heresy and dangerous belief because it's theologically important to know that our Savior lived a life without sin. Jesus lived a representative life on our behalf. Our Lord's obedience stands in the place of our sin. He is our substitute. He died on the cross for our sins, and his perfect keeping of the law is counted on our behalf as fulfilling the law when we put our trust and faith in him as Redeemer. In fact, the Bible teaches that the Lord's righteousness is imputed to every believer. But if you erroneously believe that Jesus sinned, then you no longer have a perfect sacrifice necessary to pay for your sins. Tragically, that's what 43% of so-called evangelicals now believe, according to that survey. Furthermore, 36% claiming to be evangelicals said they prefer socialism to capitalism, and 34% rejected the idea of legitimate marriage being one man and one woman. Unfortunately, the figures in the Barna survey are said to be consistent with other surveys among believers claiming to be evangelicals, even though they are rejecting doctrines traditionally defined as evangelical. Furthermore, many prominent evangelical leaders on the national stage have continued to fall into sin and moral failure, which brings me back to the topic of Bible prophecy and the lateness of the hour. While a great decline has been deteriorating in the West, a new remnant of believers has begun to pray with great urgency and fervency. Hallelujah. Prayer and repentance have always been the price of revival. And so some are willing now to pay that price. And if we're going to believe for revival, now is the time to press into God because the scriptures clearly foretell a great apostasy is coming in the end times. Nothing has been so shocking to me as the swift decline of America. Bible prophecy watchers have speculated that America must decline according to Bible prophecy because no end-time power is prophesied in the Bible other than a revived Roman Empire and its Antichrist system. So the globalists think that they must work hard to destroy the strong economic and military influence of the USA. The American way of life, of freedom, just stands in the way of globalism. Capitalism is increasingly under attack, and socialism and globalism are increasingly being extolled. Some progressive 
so-called political leaders are even promoting Marxism in the United States disguised as European-style socialism. You really would have to be extremely naive not to recognize that America is in free fall with its increase in lawlessness, anarchy, sexual perversions, and the spirit of Antichrist. We've already witnessed prophesied tribulation events concerning technology and transhumanism casting their shadows now at the end of the church age. The recent spike in attacks against churches and pro-life organizations is part of a wider pattern of violence that has seen a marked increase in the past two years. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops just released a report that cataloged at least 139 incidents since May 2020 against Catholic churches and organizations, including arsons, statues being beheaded and smashed and painted, gravestones defaced with swastikas and abusive language, and American flags burned, along with other forms of vandalism. In fact, for the past half century, the pro-life movement has campaigned with an outpouring of love and concern, resources and prayer, while the exact opposite characterized the pro-abortion industry in its ongoing campaign of violence and destruction in the sacred space of mothers' wombs. One of the signs of the times that's extremely distressing because it receives so little attention is that believers continue to be slaughtered by the thousands, particularly in Africa and in Nigeria, where there is out-and-out genocide. Shouldn't those black lives matter? Well, one prophetic trend that demonstrates the lateness of the hour is the very obvious rise of strong delusion. In all my born days, I've never seen or heard so many lies and out-and-out delusion like what's being propagated daily in the media, by politicians, professors, and even preachers. What rational person wants, for example, the protection of the police to be abolished? The Holocaust is denied in many quarters as a myth. Perversion is so brazen that my parents of blessed memory, if they were alive today, just wouldn't be able to believe that such things are happening now in the West. Yet all along, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul explained that this end time strong delusion will be sent as a judgment by God. And why? Because of the absence of the love of truth. Strong delusion is how people will be deceived into welcoming the Antichrist. Truly, times of the great deception are already upon us. Scientists in China say that they have detected what could be the trace of a signal from an alien civilization via their sky eye telescope the largest of its kind in the world. Since 2020, the telescope has been involved in researching possible alien life. And of course, fallen demons will not disappoint because they will increasingly masquerade as aliens in UFOs to deceive people who are biblically illiterate. Well, I do want to believe a revival in the West with all of my heart. And we would be remiss not to believe God for revival relief. Yet increasingly, my hope is in the prophetic scriptures concerning revival in Israel in the last days. Because Israel, when it's revived, will affect the entire world. At the recent prayer breakfast in Jerusalem, 
Joel Rosenberg amazed us with details of how he was, as a Jewish Christian, received supernatural open doors to hang out with Middle Eastern kings. And he and other evangelicals have been movers and shakers behind the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords of the Trump presidency, as dynamic and amazing and hopeful as they are, they are only affording a temporary window of prosperity and peace in the Middle East. All of us Bible prophecy watchers realize that eventually a false peace covenant will be confirmed by Antichrist. Let's not forget that Jeremiah 6.14 prophesies, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. And 1 Thessalonians 5.3 foretells, While people are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The worst of these labor pains that Jesus prophesied for the last days will occur in the Great Tribulation period, as outlined in the book of Revelation. But already now in the church age, we're witnessing a foreshadowing of the tribulations to come. And when the church age will wind up, while we watch transhumanism and dangerous aberrations being celebrated, we know that technology is advancing to implement the mark of the beast described in Revelation 13. Having passed through a very difficult time in our nations, when in some places people had to register to attend church so they could be traced, the restrictions, the lockdowns, the COVID quarantines and mask wearing were only dress rehearsals. Clearly, society has been prepped for the Antichrist control of government, and fear is a tool used to cower people. The increase of surveillance reminded us of the social science fiction novel, 1984, written in 1949 by English novelist George Orwell. It's a story that took place in an imagined future, the year 1984, and Orwell envisioned the world fallen victim to government surveillance and propaganda. In his novel, Britain became a province of a totalitarian superstate ruled by thought police. The party leader was called Big Brother. The novel's protagonist dreamed of rebellion and entered into a forbidden relationship with a colleague but started to remember what life was like before the party came to power. It would do us all well to reread 1984. It's become a classic literary example of political oppression. In fact, the novel popularized the word Orwellian, with many other terms entering common usage, such as Big Brother and Double Think, describing the process of indoctrination. Other terms from the novel 1984 that entered common usage were thought crime, newspeak, and memory hole, used to describe the deliberate alteration or disappearance of inconvenient or embarrassing documents. Memory holes are too prophetic of big text shutting down various websites and social media posts. In the novel, the party's deceptively named Ministry of Truth systematically rewrote all potentially embarrassing historical documents to conform with state propaganda. Yet the current regime in the White House has advocated the same. And many parallels can be drawn to today's real-life instances of totalitarianism, hate crimes, 
and mass surveillance. Well, I'm sad to say that our troubles today stem from the fact that too many people have rejected Jesus. He will bring peace to this earth when he returns. But mankind instead is looking for a short-term savior in the form of Antichrist. Still, I'm happy to report from God's word that the upcoming revival in Jerusalem and Israel, what I call God's ultimate revival, will be earth-shaking with resurrection power, and it will cause the Hebrides revival, the Welsh revival, the Azusa Street revival, the Argentine revival. It'll cause all past revivals to pale by comparison. So imagine how much more prayer is needed to see this revival in Israel come to pass. One good development has already been happening and is gaining momentum. Although I've mentioned in this program the alarming decline in traditional biblical beliefs amongst those claiming to be evangelicals, a great trend, often unreported, is that many evangelicals are finally aligning themselves in this hour with God's holy purposes, and they are praying mightily concerning Israel's restoration at this time. There may be a remnant of us in this prayer movement for revival in Israel and Arabia, but in the beginning, a remnant is all God ever needs. The revivals I mention in this program sometimes started out with one intercessor or two intercessors and then grew to a company of dedicated groups of praying believers before multitudes were touched by the power of God. I've tried to explain in this program that revival can delay the new world order But due to the lateness of the hour, if society has passed the point of no return, we still have the blessed hope of the soon return of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. So let's continue to look up and not grow discouraged. Well, the Bible admonishes us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to repent and to call upon his name for salvation while there's still time. I urge you to check out our website, exploits.tv, where you can watch all of our previous programs with closed captions in English. The site also has news on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. And at our website and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a library of videos 24-7. And please sign up for our weekly update called Exploits based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares that people who know their God will be strong and we will accomplish exploits, meaning we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets. Today, we want to leave you with the Bible's best known verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's you, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray without ceasing. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark. Maranatha. When you visit the Jerusalem Channel website, you can watch all our videos with closed caption subtitles. Select the closed caption logo at the bottom right corner of the video screen and select English. 
Jerusalem Channel Facebook page, you can select closed captions in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic. The Jerusalem Channel YouTube site has closed captions in English.